This is Kari Gale. And this is Tony Critz. Welcome to the Pilgrim Lost Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. Well, it's Saturday morning, so this is uh, Saturday Mornings with Kari and Tony. It's the new name of our <laughs> gathering. We're going to need a new logo. Yeah, it's Saturday mornings. Thing. Saturday with mornings. Kari and Tony. How are you? How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, drinking the tea down in Tom's basement. This is where I do read my recordings now in COVID because it's got better Wi-Fi. <laughs> Nice. I know that sounds that does sound that sounds a little strange, but it's 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 actually really lovely. I've, I've got a view out into the garden. Um, but uh, I have actually been busy this week on on an exciting thing, a, a new project. Tell me, tell me. So I am doing a collaboration, which, as you a know, collab. A collab. That's what that's what the cool kids say. A collab. I'm doing a collab um, with a very dear friend. That I think you know as well, Miss Karen Thurston. No. Yes. The Karen Thurston. <laughs> I know. I know. She's, she's so wonderful. She's so marvelous. I love her crazily. I do too. And she is an incredible poet and writer and also a podcaster. And she and I are going to be doing a project together um, where she wrote this beautiful liturgy for the body more it's for the female body and it sounds very very intriguing right it's basically a letter a letter that she wrote basically um making peace when women have a lot of issues about being in their own skin and this is a, a project about helping women settle in and be at peace with their own skin and their own body and so i get to do illustrations and in fact you know what? She's here right now with us. Shockingly. Surprise. No. <laughs> Hi, Karen. I could Hi. Actually Hi, welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much for being here. It is my absolute pleasure to be here. It's fun to be talked about and pretend that you're not listening. I know. <laughs> can, you, can you give a better summary of the, did I do an okay job of, of, of summarizing? The collab of our collab, yeah. No, I think you did a beautiful job of summarizing what we're doing. It is absolutely that it is a letter. I would call it a love letter. Um, and the piece was originally written for a kind of women's gathering that we had up uh, down. You're up. I'm down down here in San Diego. Um, to do in a, in a group as a meditation, and um, we just from there the piece was really meaningful to a bunch of people and just felt like it would be a good thing to kind of turn into an interactive piece in a journal um and i am so beyond excited i knew as soon as we had that idea that you were the only person that i wanted to work with on this so i am just absolutely absolutely over the moon with everything uh that we've done so far and i'm really really excited to see where it goes so me too I mean, if you can't, you guys can't see, but I have this huge, like, blushy smile on my face right now. It's the thing, the thing that's amazing, though, is that this is actually a we were, Tony and I were chatting about. This is our very first podcast where we equally know the guest. So, Tony, you uh -huh. have to share a little bit about how you met, because you met, I met Karen through you. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. At an apple picking. Yeah, that's right. We were making oh cider. My. At Tucker Farm a million that's where we years met. ago. That's true fascinating yeah i mean karen and i go way back we were actually we spiritualed together for a long time around the dinner table on a on a weekly basis and mm -hmm. 
I have a lot of affection for her and participated in one of the more significant days of her life. That's very true. <laughs> very complicated now. <laughs> Still very significant. I don't think any of that has diminished a bit. Not a bit. Not a bit. By the way, I'm doing a, doing another wedding this weekend. Are you? I am tomorrow. That's fun. Is it virtual or are you doing like a whole in-person have to do all the things thing? Um, well, don't tell anybody, but it's live. <gasps> Neat. I know. Okay. It's outdoors. Yeah, it's be outside. Brave. You're going to be safe. You're going to wash your hands. It's okay. That's it's right. good. It's your significant events. Yeah, it's so apple picking. Yeah, we did that together. Okay, so we... Um, we announced last week that uh, for season two, and this is the first full episode of season two, you're our, you're our kickoff, Karen. Wow, no pressure. And our theme for season two is that life is a pilgrimage. And uh, 3,000 years ago, um, a poet like yourself, one of the most revered poets in human history, mm. wrote that blessed are those whose lives and hearts are set on pilgrimage. Mm. And, uh, you know, pilgrimage, Pilgrimage can be defined in several ways, but it's um, it's not a sprint. It's it's the long journey, and it and it is um, having our life set in a certain direction and to follow to follow our feet as they lead. And um, Kari and I wanted to bring you on because we want to talk a little bit about faith and and deconstruction. If you're up for it, yeah, absolutely. That's ninety percent of what I do with my time, so I'm here for it. Fantastic. Yay, Bo. Yeah. So, I mean, just you, you let me know, because here's the thing. I can talk a blue streak. I can talk this entire 45 minutes. I can just go. So you all direct me and point me, point my feet in the direction you would like me to pilgrim and I'm on it. <laughs> well, start at, start at the beginning. I mean, start at, start at that point where, because I met you, I met you at the time that you and I were both attending. We were all attending um, the same church. Yep. And I think we all have had our own forms of deconstruction and change and shifting since that time. And um, I, I'd be really curious, like maybe take from that point um, where you were very actively involved in, um, in Amago Day Church. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and now you, you know, you, you, that was what, 15 years ago? That was a while ago. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we, we all just had a moment of like the passing of yeah. time. And now you host a podcast called Heathen. I do. Yes. Just, there's the bookends. Let's How did we get from point A to point B? Yeah, let's yeah. start to move through the pilgrimage, the sure. you know, process. There's a because um, there's so. always a starting point. There's always that point yep. where you're like, I mean, and and one of the stages of pilgrimage is that I that infatuation that like, oh, I have this idea in my brain and it's intriguing me and I don't know what to do with it. Am I willing so, right. to risk to move that direction? So yep. Absolutely. There. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you two minutes uh, of nutshell of what came before that, just so that we've got context, uh, which is just that I grew up what I call big box evangelical in uh, Northern California. So the Costco of Christian churches um, and, but very, very deeply entrenched in that and very, very well loved. It suited me well. I'm a straight white female and that entire world suited me. It was easy, easy, easy for me to fit in, in the context I grew up in, um, until I was married and divorced very quickly, very young at 21, um, which rocked that for the first time for me. And so by the time we get to me in Portland, uh, interacting at Imago, I had eventually left San Jose as the result of uh, being divorced and just wanting kind of to clean slate. I had done 
two years uh, sort of in the woods in Cresswell, Oregon, living behind my parents and my own little house and working at Starbucks and just being sort of solitary. Uh, and then had eventually gotten bored and moved up to Portland. And that had led me uh, to a through blue like jazz <laughs> discovery of Imago Day. <laughs> Sorry, it's the truth. And here we are. And um, I wound up at Imago. Uh, By the way, none of our listeners will get that reference at all. That has never <laughs> come up on this podcast. Really? And if I have anything to say about it, it never will. I literally turned the book over and that is how I wound up at Imago. And that's how we met. So really, you know, all good. Yeah. We're here today. Um, and so I wound up at Imago. So Imago for me was sort of a, I had been told a lot in my first divorce, a lot of things that like, you know, you can never remarry, it would be adultery, you can never this, that or the other thing. And so Imago for me felt progressive. It felt like a time where I was like, okay, I have deconstructed the religion of my youth and I now I'm here. So at that point, I was then deeply swung back into this sense of belonging to this thing, to this community, to this place that was again, very comfortable and easy. Um, they were rhythms that were very familiar to me. And I was incredibly happy in that I had met someone who was, you know, willing to marry me, even though potentially we were committing adultery by getting married and um, he was wonderful. So <laughs> that was going on and that was beautiful. And we all met right around that time where I was just, I'm an Enneagram three. So I'm an image projector by nature. Me too. Me too, girl. I see you. So when I find a role that is comfortable that I can succeed at, that's easy for me to play, I can just lose myself for years into playing that part. Um, and it was actually at Tony's table. It's one of the first times Tony and his beautiful eightness was one of the first voices to challenge that in me. Um, because I would just sit there and be like, no, it's, I, I don't really struggle with faith. It's it's pretty easy for me. I don't really feel like I have a lot of doubt. I don't really feel like I have a lot of places. And Tony, Tony <laughs> did a lot of very like, uh, what's the word I want? Patient maybe, or, or really just, uh, I don't know what the word I want for this is. You did it. You did a lot of going, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. We can go yeah. ahead and pretend like right. that's true for a while. We'll do that. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's where you are today. And fine. We will, we will just pacifying me a little bit, I think. And, um, going with it um, and not pushing too hard, which I think is actually a really beautiful skill of eights because I think to Enneagram threes, eights can be really scary people. The idea of being challenged and being seen. It's terrifying when we're in an image projection. So um, it is nice when there's some gentleness there, but um, it started to unravel for me around the time my daughter was born. Um, and I don't know if there was something in postpartum hormone or what that helped to sort of kickstart my second round of deconstructing. Um, but I just, I just found myself wrestling with the image projection that I was living in and feeling that disconnect between the person that I was working so hard to be on the outside and the thoughts and feelings I was having on the inside. Um, and it really came to, it came to a crisis point for me when I went to get um, licensed to marry some friends of ours to officiate a wedding. And they were at Imago and I wanted to be licensed through Imago. And one of the pastors called me into the office and sat me down and we had a conversation. Uh, and he said, you know, the elders have some concerns because we've seen you post, you know, 
celebrating for my LGBTQ friends today on the legalization of gay marriage. And, you know, we want to make sure that if we license you in this way, that uh, you aren't going to use that to marry any same-sex couples at any point. And I sat there in his office, an image projector, me, I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure, sign the thing, get out of the room. And left and just, that was a breaking point for me where just the, the cognitive dissonance and the, the, uh, the feeling of disconnect between what I was doing and what I actually believed uh, just hit critical mass for me. Um, and I went home and immediately just started to pull away. And that was sort of the thread that was pulled that started to unravel everything for me. Um, so what I'm, what I'm hearing, let me just kind of put it in my own words. Yeah is you were you were simultaneously trying to live two stories simultaneously there was an external story that you were allowing other people to see and there was mm -hmm. an internal story that you were having to hide and hold and you were the only audience to that story and this, as the journey began it sounds like it was the process of bringing the internal story into the external yeah absolutely and i think that's how a lot of church leadership deconstruction functions where there is that big period of time where the outside and the inside are in total conflict because it is a it is an incredible there is so much pressure not to change the structure of your faith when people are following you uh mm. just you know wolf in right. sheep's clothing clothing and like apostasy is a terrifying thing to consider and just the idea of leading others astray i think the i'd had that pressure mounted on me of being a good leader and a responsible leader my entire life. I started leading worship before my 16th birthday, you know? So as long as I had been in this thing, the pressure to make sure that I led people in the way that they should go was, was right there. So yeah, a lot of that happens in secret. And it feels like, you know, the first year I tried to learn to snowboard, I did it in boots that were two sizes too small and I could do it. Uh, but it was painful all of the time, you know, and it's, I think it's that kind of feeling when you're living in that double life space of just walking around in the wrong size shoes all of the time where you can do it you can pretend it's not happening. And also being a three, the tension of that mm -hmm. being so much your identity, how people perceived you, because it, you knew that not only were you bringing this internal external, if that happened, that identity was ostensibly gone and right. and who were you going to be then and how would people perceive you and how would all of it so that spinning it's almost like that spinning of plates where if you just drop you're just like everything drops yeah it's not like you weren't in the public eye and you could just move and transition in your own space it was you felt like you were probably on a stage most of the time absolutely and, and as a three you like that it's yeah. not even like oh love it. you love it you're just loving it and you're like oh man if i am true to myself in this way I, I will be not even just step off the stage. People will probably push me off of it. Sure. Yeah. And as, as threes, I think we lose the ability to discern uh, the difference between the stage performer version of ourselves and our actual selves. So any time that we feel like that stage performance ends, it's really hard to figure out that, oh, I'm not going to end just because this particular thing that I'm doing ends. That's not, you know the entire story of me and I am allowed actually to, to change that projection. Um, that projection is not myself. It's just the, the, it is the projection that I was living for a while. So yeah, it's not a small feeling. 
And I think that I was really lucky in that I had people around me who were familiar with this, uh, <laughs> this whole thing and who had tools that they could hand me, even in the middle of still being an Imago, still being in all of it and still trying to fake it. There were like these little secret um, conspirators who would come up and be like, listen to this podcast, you know, and do this and do this. And um, my friend Scott was like, I think that you would really love this episode of You Made It Weird, the Pete Holmes podcast with Richard Rohr, which was my introduction to Rohr. I had never, I'd never read anything. And um, I listened to that podcast right at the bottom of my deconstruction, my having thrown all of my stones at the glass house that was my God and seeing if it would shatter. And I feel like my, my concept of God pretty significantly did shatter. It, I, I broke that version of God that I had in my head. He ceased to exist for me. Um, and in that way, you could call it, I had gone into atheism, although I would argue that I'm not particularly great at being an atheist because I'm like, I see God in like, oh, the paper on my desk moved a little bit. And I'm like, oh, it's significant and it means something. Um, but <laughs> just the wooiest human. But in that moment, all I had was that particular glass castle version of God. And so that God was dead to me. Um, and it was listening to Richard Rohr laugh in that podcast, Pete Holmes was asking him questions and he would say, you know, but were you scared about this or and this happens? Isn't that terrifying? And what, and he would just go, <laughs> and it was that like knowing, oh, right. I remember when I was scared about that. I remember when that felt like a big deal. And when those questions were terrifying, it was that laugh that made me go, okay, I can keep asking these questions because there's something on the other side. And it sounds like those questions were what allowing, allowing yourself to ask those questions were what kept moving you forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And allowing myself to ask the questions, um, instead of going, I think my pattern had always been to try to go back and reinforce and rebuild. So instead of asking someone else, I would ask my pastor instead of reading something else, instead of reading the Bhagavad Gita or reading a different text, I would have just gone back to my Bible, you know, and been terrified of the influence of those external forces. And I think it was that laugh that made me go, okay, you can go out there. And at that point, the, the glass house version of God was shattered already. So frankly, there wasn't much left to lose except community there for me. Let's talk about that. Yeah. As this, as this starts to squirt out of you uh -huh. process, what were, I mean, what, what was the collateral damage? What was the, what were the hurdles you were coming up against relationally, communally? What were the, what were the things you were having to sacrifice along the way that in the part of your life beyond your internal dialogue about who God is and, and what makes you good or whatever sort of questions, how about externally? What was some of the, yeah, I mean, at, at, at at the onset, the, the collateral damage was relatively low in that I had already, I had the advantage of, I had done a big dramatic disappointment of many of my friends and family early in life with the first divorce. So anyone who was going to be like, Karen's bad behavior means we can't be in community with her had kind of pieced out at that point, which is nice. Um, and the trouble was most of my community was now based in a church that I didn't feel like I could participate in. Um, 
And though those people were willing to stay in my life and stay with me and be part of it, um, we didn't have that thing in common anymore. And that thing that was in common was a huge part of our relationship. And so when I wasn't going to Bible studies, when I wasn't going to church, all of a sudden that, that took away the entire contextual life of our relationship. And, and a lot, a lot of those relationships just sort of petered out um, as a result. And then ultimately uh, it wound up costing me my marriage, which was, I would argue in the grand scheme pilgrimage of life, a really beautiful lesson and journey that my ex-husband and I wound up going on together, but it was hard in the moment for sure, hard in the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it also uh, relocated us. So we wound up in Southern California. And then I think all of those things were sort of tied together. I think if I hadn't started deconstructing, if we hadn't left Imago, it would have been very hard to move down to San Diego and all of these little pieces. My marriage was very much based on this idea that uh, you know, marriage is more about partnership than it is about anything else. And and I still hold that that is absolutely valid and true for many, many, many people. But there were these wounds that we couldn't quite reconcile. And it was my religion that was stopping me, that was keeping me in that place and that was keeping the glue there together. And when we lost that, there was a disconnect uh, for us. So there were a lot of, I mean, my life is 100% different today than it would have been if I had not deconstructed at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So give us a sense of, so, so pilgrimage, Mm -hmm. when you, so when you walk the Camino de Santiago, there's, there's hardly a 10, there's hardly 10 minutes that go by that you don't imagine when you're going to walk into the city of Santiago in the center square in front of the cathedral and you're going to walk and you're going to have that moment, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it, it just, the, the image of it follows you all the time. And I'm, do you feel like you've, you've had a chance to walk into the, into the city square um, mm-hmm. on this journey of yours? Or do you feel like that's still somewhere in the future? When you talk about walking into the, the city square, are you talking about just like the, the awe and wonder and the catharsis of it? Or is it more like the arriving at the end of the journey piece? Well, one journey turns into the next journey. So it's not, it doesn't have to be the ultimate journey, but have sure. you had a sense of like, like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been moving towards. Oh yeah. I found it or yeah. I got there. Yeah. I, yeah. I think this is a, it's a fun one for me. <laughs> it's hard that's a hard one to kneel down because the thing I found was uncertainty. And that <laughs> has been the, the beautiful, magical, aha cathedral for me is just this beautiful cathedral of mysticism and questioning and not having to be the girl with the concrete answers. Um, and in, in along the way, I would say that there were hundreds of tiny town squares and cathedrals. Uh, Every step of this process has felt very much. I think transformation is a quintessential part of human experience and growth. I think it's hard for us to grow without risk and without actually taking chances and without, um, at least it's hard for me. I guess I, I can't speak for everyone at all by any stretch, but it is hard for me to grow without there being an element of vulnerability and risk um, because I'm very good at 
staying safe, keeping myself safe. And every time that I have fully leaned into that vulnerability, have allowed myself to be honest, have allowed the projection to go poof, um, it has led to a homecoming of sorts where I have arrived at a piece of myself that I didn't have before. And I've gotten closer to finding the people who see me and want to be in my life because of who I really am, not because of the projection that I'm living, Um, which is an experience that can be hard for threes to land on because we're stubborn in our projections. And um, it is, I have through this process landed in a place where I feel like I am known and seen and allowed to fail and allowed to you know say i i can't do this today and there are people who will rally around me and i don't feel like i have to hold the world um i don't feel like i feel less significant and more significant in my own story at the same time i feel less like it's all on me and all about me and also like i have more of myself and that i show up more as myself um, I one have. The, uh, go ahead. No, I was go ahead. Say, one of the things that I love about seeing your story and having gotten to even know you more in these last few years is that I do get that sense. And being a three, it's easy to like see and sort of. I do see the more I see you more authentically because I see you doing things that scare you, and you yeah. show that you're scared of it. Of it. I mean, just this. Your the some of the, the the like fruit that's come out of the end of this, or at least this most recent arrival, the most recent plaza is, is you've been doing things that you've never. I mean, that you've never done before. You've never, or maybe you hadn't done in a really long time, mm-hmm. like some of your singing and um, songwriting and things that you've been doing that have put you in a very different stage. That um, and I love seeing that because I see I see your vulnerability. Yeah. And, um, and I went back when I knew you at Imago, I've just thought you had it together all the time. <laughs> you did a great <laughs> job, but I love seeing this you. And can mm-hmm. you speak a little bit more to that of those things that you're allowing yourself to maybe try and become? Yeah. I mean, I think Fable, Fable is the, the heart of all of that. My daughter, Your who, daughter. yeah, who is seven and she, um, you know, it is not an uncommon phenomenon to see everything that you are reflecting back at you from your child, whether it's good or bad or neutral, they are magical, terrifying little mirrors. Um, But she, uh, she, I need to be what I want her to know and what I want her to trust. I can't just tell her that it is okay to be vulnerable and to try new things and to fail if I don't actually try new things and fail. Um, I don't like failing. I don't like failing, especially publicly. I crippling embarrassment anytime I feel like I'm sort of not the best one in the room at something. And I hate it. I hate that. I hate it about myself. I hate that feeling of embarrassment. I hate what it takes from me. I hate the way that it stops me from participating fully in things, the way that I miss opportunities because of it. And I didn't want that for her. And the only way to stop her from learning that from me was to stop teaching it and to start doing something else. And so she was absolutely the catalyst for me being like, okay, well, these things that scare you and the things that scare me, scare me. I hadn't sung publicly in 14 years when Ben and I got together. I literally couldn't sing in front of him. I would have an anxiety panic reaction that would 
make my throat close and I couldn't get, I couldn't get sound to come out of my body. Um, for probably this for six months we were together, I couldn't sing along with a radio in the car when we were together. And it was this huge thing and God love him. He stuck in there. <laughs> let me keep trying and failing. And it was horrifying. Um, and eventually, eventually, you know, we got there and then it's just every day trying not to retreat from that, trying to lean into it. And there are plenty of times where like the, we do this heathen happy hour thing every Thursday night now where we learn, we learn 15, 20 cover songs a week and we do them live on the internet just to be with our buddies during this mayhem that we're living. Um, and we do it, you know, it's on video, which is my nightmare. I, I don't like watching myself on video. And um, there are days when, you know, the boys will be in the living room watching the playback and I'm in the bedroom just like having a full on anxiety attack and yelling at people and like, turn it off. I don't want to be subjected to this and like being the worst version of myself. And they still like me and I still get to stay here. And that lesson, that rupture repair, that like Karen can have a freak out. She can have a meltdown. She can do these things and like still belong somewhere, still be loved, still be cared for. I don't know how else I would have learned that. And I am so grateful for it. So in so many ways, uh, you're, I really like you as a spokesperson for hmm. this, this topic and this journey, um, precisely because eight or nine years ago, if someone had asked me, tell me about, you know, hey, you, you, and, you know Karen pretty well, tell me about Karen. Hmm. I would have said, I, I'm, I don't, don't know. I yeah. don't know. I don't know her. And um, I would have defined, I would have defined you as, as risk averse, you know, as... Mm -hmm. Um, utterly careful, like in your natural orientation. And you've already said that. I'm just restating what you've already yeah, said. Yeah, absolutely. There's this, um, the movie Hook. You guys remember that old movie Hook? Bang Ring. Yes. Bang Ring. Uh, Dustin Hoffman and, um, and um, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Julia Roberts was on it. Oh, yeah. Julia Roberts as yeah. Peter Pan. There's this great scene. It's, a, it's, right, it's right at the climax of the film when uh you know peter pan is uh, peter's lost sense of who he is right he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't know who he is and one of the lost boys like grabs his face and starts pulling on his face and says there you are peter mm -hmm. and, uh you know that he'd gone through so much of the movie and the real peter hadn't shown up you know yeah and so i hear so much of that in, mm -hmm. in what you're talking through and you're still in it so, oh God, every day, still well, in and, it all the and time. And so I want to speak to that. So you, um, you host a podcast with another lovely human being and yeah. it's all about this journey. So you so much went through this pilgrimage and now you want to invite stories of other people walking through this same journey. I'm so curious what led you to that point to talk a little bit about your podcast. Well, not to just stay on the Enneagram, but I'm a three. So like I have to do the thing and then I have to like really do it. Right. So I have to go all the way in. Um, no, Heathen, I was invited into Heathen. Um, Heathen was uh, Matthew's project. So my co-host, uh, Matthew Blake, it was his, his baby that he had started and he went on a similar journey. He grew up gay in a uh, very conservative sect of religion, uh, a just a weird little pocket of Christianity with, you know, head coverings and women not being allowed to speak and the whole thing. So obviously some deconstruction has gone on there. Um, and he started heathen 
just to talk to other people about their stories and to hear more of those stories. I think anyone who's gone through this process, the overwhelming feeling, unless you're very lucky, is loneliness and loss of community and the fear that comes with that because we are inclined to be in community. Um, and so he wanted to create a space where those stories were told just to normalize talking about it. Um, he also, at that point, you know, he was, he was coming at bad religion. The tagline was like, you know, landing place for people coming away from bad religion. And he was coming for it. He wanted to tear the thing down. And it's been really interesting. I was on the podcast the first season doing very much this thing, telling me, telling my story. And then he asked me to come in and host the second season. And it's been interesting to watch our journey play out through Heathen because we've gone from kind of this focus on deconstruction and taking the thing apart to now the focus is, you know, our, our tagline has gone from like, you know, the tearing down battered religion to this less alone, more alive thing and um, focusing on what is working, what is working for people spiritually on the other side of this. What are, what are people doing and how are they getting there? Um, and what are, you know, what are those walking into the town square moments? What are the things that, that people are finding? What's the treasure on the other side of this? Um, and I think the purpose for me always is just putting out a loud voice out there um, because that shame monster when you are deconstructing is so strong. It's just that you will find nothing except hellfire and brimstone and eternal damnation. To put a loud voice out there that says, hey, you know, we're here. Right. Uh, we have cookies. We still have Jesus. We like him. Uh, we still have community and love and God and all of these things are not lost. And more importantly, they're not fragile. They're not small. And any God worth pursuing is not going to be shattered by your doubt or your question. And, is, and that God is not limited. It doesn't belong to the people who tell you that you are losing God. God does not belong to anyone specifically god is if god is god must belong to everybody and god must be available to everybody and i don't believe i don't believe in a god who doesn't communicate themselves to everyone you know and and who can't withstand whatever i'm going to throw <laughs> i think that that who needs who needs who needs a small god yeah, any system that's dependent upon me believing in God as opposed to God believing in in us. Yeah, and um, I'm I'm really glad you got there because um, I wanted to take you there because so deconstruction is so scary. Mm -hmm. If you tear down the house, what's what's left? You know, is it, is it just going to be you know just an eyesore that destroys your life? And you know, and people do. People deconstruct, yeah. they find themselves in very, very dark places and they get stuck there for a very, very long time. And, um, and you're telling a story where like you were rebuilding while tearing down and where you've arrived, I mean, you're sitting here going, I still got Jesus, I still got God, I've still got community, you still have church, mm -hmm. you know, big C church, not a church that anybody can control. Um, like you're still part of a community, a faith community, right? Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got our, our little, I call it our unicorn church here because <laughs> um, it is, it is, uh, I, I still don't quite understand how I, I got, well, I, I have lots of theories about how I got so lucky as to have, have happened into uh, this group of humans, but it is a, a magical 
it is a magical space for me. Um, and just, I didn't know, I didn't know there were churches that were this uh, sort of inclusive, not only for, you know, orientation and race and types of humans, but also just theologically inclusive. Um, I was pretty, I thought Imago when we were there was progressive, you know, so I didn't know <laughs> how far back on that scale I still was. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's this. And just the, um, the absolute holy permission that I have been given. And Tony, honestly, like your voice is the voice in my head often as one of the originators of that permission, you were one of the first people to give me that permission to look at these things and still be loved. And I think that that pattern of this holy permission has followed. It was in Richard Rohr's laugh. It was in our beautiful friend, Scott Erickson, who I think is one of the most gifted iconographers around, um, arguably of his time, who continually just presents these beautiful pictures I've got on the wall, his little hermit crab thing with the church, you know, and that was like the house, the shell is not your home. The ocean was always your home. And so all of these little beautiful pieces I've got Ben now, my partner who uh, has been through similar things. I've had uh, holy permission given to me from my ex-husband who was willing to walk into co-parenting with me in this beautiful way. And be open and do his own deconstruction with me and kind of go into these different places. He's the one who insisted that we go to Sojourn Grace, which is where I still am today. Um, and uh, Kate and Colby Martin are the pastors there and the, the holy permission that they have given me to, uh, and when I first started, I went, I asked Kate to go to coffee with me and I sat down and I said, here's the thing I do when I go into churches is I just start being really good at churches. <laughs> and I, I will come in and I'll be like, put me on staff. I'll do all the things. And, I, and I'm like, I, you have to not let me do that because I will lose myself again. And I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Um, and what I didn't know then is that Kate is uh, married to, uh, well, Colby is, is sort of the, the flip side version of me. We're very, very similar. And so Kate just looked at me and she goes, you have come to the right place. <laughs> like there is, I will absolutely not let you sign up for anything for a long time. And, uh, you know, that was our first coffee date. She's now my absolute best girlfriend in the entire world. And um, just these little, every, every piece of the way, holy permission to just do the growing I needed to do, ask the questions I needed to ask. And it's given me the opportunity to pass that permission along. And that's an incredible honor every time. It is my favorite thing when I get a message that says, you know, hey, this thing is happening and it's really scary and I don't know what to do. And I get to say, okay, come on over, sit down. I get to do the thing that, you know, that you, Tony, did for me so many times. Like, come on over and sit at the table and do here and this is going to be okay. And that's um, – it's cool. It's made me into a, you know, a freaking deconstruction evangelical. You know? I'm all about it. I'm like, come on over. Let me tell you the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And like, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It has made me passionate about it in a way I never was before. So oh, the thing I love about all of that, what you just said is, you know, one of the biggest, biggest parts of pilgrimage is your fellow pilgrims. Mm -hmm. These people that you encounter that you're walking with and that that, you know, there's a day where you just can't, you just like, I can't, I can't do it today. And someone comes alongside you and shares their story and gives you a little bit of hope, a little bit of momentum. And it sounds like though, you know, just everything that you mentioned were, were relationships that kept moving you all yep. down the road, you know, every piece. And uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this specific 
doctrine or this specific idea. It was people and their love for you and their recognition and seeing you where you were at and accepting you and then walking with you. And that's, I mean, that's pilgrimage right there. Like it's, it's everything. So beautiful. And I love the pilgrimage metaphor too, just because I feel like that's what used to terrify me is the idea that my belief structure would somehow be different a year from now than it is now. And now I have no question that something about my spirituality and my belief structure will be different a year from now than it is today. I have no question that there will be something to uncover or learn or another weird question that gets pulled back or something will fall apart or something will be rebuilt. And that excites me instead of terrifies me now. And that I think is for me to be excited about the journey, to be excited about the pilgrimage instead of fearful of the twists and turns. That's the, uh, the greatest gift of deconstruction and all of its loss and terror and wonder and horror, all of those pieces just coming together to know, oh, okay, all of that happened, the world ended. And, you know, two years later, it was kind of fine. And we'll, we'll see what happens next year. And that'll probably be okay too. So um, that has been an incredible, incredible gift. Erin, give, uh, give us one book and one podcast. It's been a good companion. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> on the spot. Well, they, I would recommend the Heathen podcast. Um, uh, no, outside of my own. Um, <laughs> it's funny. But what I'm going to say is Radio Lab because that was what I listened to. I realized that that is like the most basic choice of podcast in the history of time. But honestly, there's something incredibly comforting about it. And I think when you're going through religious deconstruction, sure, listen to Heathen, listen to these things and listen to something completely unrelated. Listen to science about weird stuff, that or Invisibilia, like pick something that's completely off this topic, dive in, get nerdy. And turn your brain off of this thing for a little while because it makes a huge, I mean, it's, it's mentally exhausting. So I used to put my headphones in and just listen to Radio Lab and just walk miles and miles and miles around San Diego when I was in the thick of this and just like think about anything else uh, other than all this. Um, Book-wise though, uh, my pastor Colby, actually Colby Martin has a book called The Shift. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. And the, the tagline is surviving and thriving after moving from conservative to progressive Christianity, or I would argue moving from conservative to whatever kind of Christianity you're moving into. Um, and it is sort of a wilderness survival guide for deconstruction. It is not the most in-depth poetic thing. I usually supplement it with like roars falling upward or something like that. Sorry, this is lots of books. You asked the book girl about books. Um, <laughs> but um, the shift is just, it's a quick read. It's an hour and a half, two hour read. Um, and it is just sort of this breath of like, oh, there's a precedent, there's a path. There are people who have gone before, there are tools, there are ways of looking at this and thinking about it. Um, so absolutely for anyone who's stuck in that fear space of just like, oh God, I don't know what's gonna happen next. That's my go-to first recommendation. So I will link all of those things for our, for our listeners and I will link up Heathen and maybe even Heathen Happy Hour, which I haven't been able heathen to attend yet, but I definitely want to come. It's ridiculous. Like, it's just very <laughs> silly. It's three of us trying to do a like passable version of Bohemian Rhapsody on Thursday nights. <laughs> Sounds like a very good time. <laughs> it is, it is what it is, but it's been, even that has been its own, you know, 
strange miracle of community. We've had the same 20, 25 people show up every Thursday night for the last six months, and it's been a light in the middle of weird, weird weeks over and over again. Yeah. Do you guys have a title for your project you're doing together? Uh, it's called A Liturgy for My Body, currently. I don't, I don't know if that will change, but I don't anticipate that it will. I think that pretty much captures yeah. what it is. So look for that. Stay Go tuned. Yes. Check out Heathen Podcast. Uh, yep. Anywhere podcasts are found. That's right. And um, uh, Karen has mentioned the Enneagram multiple times. That's E N N E A G R A M. If you're mm. not familiar with it, go check it out. It's an ancient personality system of nine personality types that a lot of us sort of lean into to help understand ourselves and the crazy Shorthand. all around us. Um, <laughs> and before we go, I've got one last question for you, Karen. Yes, Tony. Last, Kari, do you want to ask it? Oh, I think I know what it is. Karen, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? No, that is a nice, well, I mean, I have, I would like, I would like a few things in the world. Is this the part where I get to say, I would like a novel from Tony Chris to arrive in the world at some point in the near future. It's still sitting on, on my Because I feel like that didn't come up in our natural conversation and I'm a little bummed. So, hey, Tony. <laughs> I'll put a book out if you will. Um, oh, we should have a race. That would be fun. Just Ooh. find me an editor and okay. I'll, I'll do it. Okay. I can I, work on that. I need an editor who, who, who edits. Who can do fiction. Right. And isn't going to be weirded out by my topic matter. Yeah, that's fun, isn't it? I, I, might, I might actually have some direction I could look for that. So let me look. Anything else I want to, uh, let's see, I do actually have a, a, another poetry collection that I'm going to release in a few weeks here that'll Ooh. be out in time for Christmas. So it's the first time I've done a big one. This one has like 70 poems in it, which nice. is nice. And it's going to be like a, a hardcover and like a real book. Uh, I'm still, you know, self-publishing it, but it's going to be there and significant and in the world. So yeah, that's coming out if you like poetry. Where would someone find that? Uh, it'll be on my website. So everything that I have, if you go to karenthurston.com, it will shoot you off in all of the different directions. We've got songwriting stuff on there. Heathen Podcast is on there. The books are there. You name it. The whole weird umbrella of my freelance life lives in that space. And that's Karen with a Y, K-A-R-Y-N-T-U-R-S-T-O-N. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's there too. So there's all kinds of Listen, my life is crazy, y'all. So there's there's a thousand different tangents I could go off on, but whatever happens, it will all be there. Karen, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you. I love you both very, very much, and this was absolutely lovely. Mm -hmm. Back one, at one, one last thing before you go, yeah. uh, Karen. Um, one thing that hasn't been said is you are also a tremendous cheerleader of other people's creative endeavors. And I love mm. that about you. And I'm very thankful for the ways that you've cheered me on over the years mm. on the stuff that I do. So we love you. Thanks everybody for joining us. Thanks for getting lost with us. This is the Pilgrim Lost Podcast. Or Saturday mornings with Kari and Tom. <laughs> We're not doing that. We are not doing that. <laughs> it's already done. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.